Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah study. Because it's been a while since we've been together, we had a bit of a hiatus uh, for the back. summer. <laughs> Thank Welcome you. Uh, let us say a bracha for uh, beginning something again. Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech Olam Shecheyanu Vekimanu Vehigianu Lazman Hazeh. We bless the source of life for giving us life and sustaining us in that life that we could reach this joyful moment in time of new beginnings uh, together. So our beginning again, our resuming Torah study is going to put us at the end of the Torah. We're uh, beginning again at the book of Deuteronomy, Parshat Re'eh, chapter 11, verse 26, with a very famous, uh, for us, in our tradition anyway, a famous verse of Torah. Uh, and then we'll look, of course, as we always do, at how um, the ideas of Re'eh uh, inform our lives. It's interesting to me, you, when we started in Genesis this year, I said that... Um, I found it fascinating that we were all holding something really hard and, and crazy as a society and um, the you know the elections and the the tensions and the anger and the disappointment and the the language used during campaigning whatever so we were talking about that and all of our Torah portions just seemed to like line up exactly you know, with what was happening um, order out of chaos is creation right you know so we we had these wonderful um, discussions and I feel like. Here we are again at a very difficult time. As a society, we are in a very, very difficult time right now. Uh, and I feel like, once again, um, our Torah portion right, lays right over uh, beautifully what it is that we're dealing with and, and what it... You know, when I was talking to the board last night, um, our new president had his first board meeting uh, last night. And so um, when he asked me to say a few words about, you know, my vision for KI for the next little bit, I talked about what it is to have a, a community and a place where we are connected to the wisdom of the generations before us at a time when we're floundering. That this is that is one of the enterprises that KI is about is cultivating a learning, a study, a connection to those texts and thoughts and teachings and philosophies and proven uh, ways of dealing with the big questions of our time especially in times where we don't seem to have a lot of answers. And uh, that, that is what can sustain us, can inspire us, and can give us hope, is we're not the first to wrestle with these things. And we're not the first uh, to need to address them because it got crazy. And so like, it, it gives me comfort that our ancestors have dealt with those questions and that every generation of Jews have looked to these tasks, texts to address the very challenges that we're seeing right now every time we turn on the news. So let's look at uh, Re'eh, starting at chapter 11, verse 26. We're being filmed today by these um, extraordinary young men um, for our KI video. So act like, 
you are wrapped by my teaching. <laughs> like it is you more than usual. <laughs> Thank you, Judith. Yes, more than usual. <laughs> See this day I set before you blessing and curse. Blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I enjoin upon you this day, and curse if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn away from the path that I enjoin upon you this day and follow other gods whom you have not experienced. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are about to enter and possess, you shall pronounce the blessing at Mount Gerizim and the curse at Mount Eval. Both are on the other side of the Jordan beyond the west road that is in the land of the Canaanites who dwell in the Aravah, near Gilgal, by the Terebinth of Morah. For you are about to cross the Jordan to enter and possess the land that the Lord your God is assigning to you. When you've occupied it and are settled in it, Take care to observe all the laws and rules that I have set before you this day. All right. Can continue. See this day I have set before you, bracha uklala, blessing and curse. How do, what do we know about what's going to bring blessing? Following the mitzvot, right? Learning, listening, reading, remembering, reminding about the ways that we are supposed to live that are in line with godliness. This will bring bracha. This will bring blessing. And what do we know about what's going to bring curse? If you don't do it. If you don't do it. Um, And what's set up here is the ceremony that's going to happen, the ritual that's going to happen when they cross the Jordan, when they possess the land. They are going to do a ritual with Mount Eval and Mount Grizim, we've read it before. Um, it's not here. It's later um, that we're going to get the instructions. In Deuteronomy 27, we're going to get you know, the description of that. But here they're told that's what you're going to do when you get to the other side um, to remind you as you begin this project of, thank you very much, building a society, <laughs> building civil society, right? We, a lot of people tend to think of this as, you know, oh, this is Jewish religion, th- this stuff. This, this is religion, and I'm not very religious, right? So what does this really have to do with me? And um, those of us in this room know that the whole project of this is how do we build a free society? And that does not mean free, meaning the way that we think of that in the post-Enlightenment, um, post you know, French Revolution way. What, what we're talking about is how do we build a society where everyone understands that it is on and incumbent upon each human being to choose between bracha and klala. You can't choose that if you have nothing to eat. So, so this is about how do we come together to, to create a communal project of building a society where everyone has the understanding that they choose between bracha and klala for themselves and for the people and then have the capacity to do that. So it's not only a free society, it's a just society. It must be a just society it, or, or not. But that's up to y'all. If it's just, you can anticipate bracha. You can anticipate blessing is going to flow from that. If you don't create a just society, it will be klala. And in the language of Deuteronomy, the national project, if it succeeds, your land is fruitful, your people survive, you have lots and lots of children, and right, and it's all wonderful. 
The national project, if it fails, what does that look like in the language of Deuteronomy? What we've got right now. <laughs> <laughs> what we've got right now. Um, in the language of Deuteronomy, it looks like you will be dispossessed. The land will be taken from you. If you don't make this project succeed, you, like all of the peoples around you and before you, will lose your access to the, to the land in which the project was supposed to succeed. Not very different. We don't think in those terms as Americans. We don't think of being conquered. That is not right the terminology. But I think, so Deuteronomy's language for that is you'll be dispossessed. You'll be kicked out. You'll be exiled. And you'll disappear. Your children will be carried into slavery. Right? You will disappear as a nation if you don't take care of this national project. For us right now as Americans, what I think is not dispossession, what I think is a failure of democracy. That we will lose not the land, necessarily. What we will lose is democracy in this land. Our way of life. Our way of life in this land. And that, I believe, at this moment, is in peril. Clearly, this in Deuteronomy, this is about the physical land. But as diaspora Jews... Many people take this metaphorically and not, I mean, in our lives, it's, it's about when we talk about the promised land, it's the promised land that we build together and not necessarily the physical land. Actually, isn't the brilliance of the Torah, the fact, not that it was necessarily, and I don't believe it was, written with God's hand, but its applicability to what's happening in our world yes. through every generation. And as Bird just said, it's a metaphor. Throughout, we see the metaphors because they're so alive still. That's the brilliance of this writing. Absolutely. And of the depth of thinking about the national project, of the, in this case, the Israelites. Right. Um, all right, let's go on a little bit further. These are the laws and rules that you must carefully observe in the land of the Lord, God of your fathers, the, the land that the Lord, God of your fathers, is giving you to possess as long as you live on earth. You must destroy all the sites at which the nations you are to dispossess worship their gods, whether on lofty mountains or on hills or under any luxuriant tree. Tear down their altars, smash their pillars, put their sacred posts to the fire, and cut down the images of their gods, obliterating their name from that site. Do not worship the Lord your God in like manner, but look only to the site that the Lord your God will choose amidst all your tribes as his habitation to establish his name there. There you are to go, and there you are to bring your burnt offerings and other sacrifices, your tithes and contributions, your votive and free will offerings, and the firstlings of your herds and flocks. Together with your households, you, should feast, you shall feast there before the Lord your God, happy in all the undertakings in which the Lord your God has blessed you. Go on. You shall not act at all as we now act here, every man as he pleases because you have not yet come to the allotted haven that the Lord your God is giving you. When you cross the Jordan and settle in the land that the Lord your God is allotting to you, and he grants you safety from all your enemies around you, and you live in security, then you must bring everything that I command you to the site where the Lord your God will choose to establish his name, your burnt offerings and other sacrifices, your tithes and contributions, and all the choice votive offerings that you, can, that you vow to the Lord. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God with your sons and daughters, 
and with your male and female slaves, along with the Levite in your settlements, for he has no territorial allotment among you. Okay. We get this overarching statement, and then, so what does that mean? All right, I place before you the blessing and the curse. We know the Deuteronomist. The Deuteronomist is now going to tell us more specifically what that looks like. I want to remind us where we are in real history and in mythic history as we come to the crafting of these words of the Deuteronomist that we just read. Um, all right. I'm going to do something with this in a little bit. For right now, I want us to remember the, the project of the beginning of this nation state begins with David. Right? David's going to He's going to take these loose, this loose confederation of tribes that has come together under national emergency before, under the judges. Whenever there was a crisis, they would band together. The judge would be the leader, and they would defend themselves against the Philistines, you know, or what else, whoever else was attacking at the, that day. And um, and then they would go back to being tribes with their own interests until there was another need for a judge to come lead them to deal with some regional threat. David is the first to say this is going to be a different project. This is going to be a nation state, right? He make, he moves his capital to where? Jerusalem to be central, right, in the country, right? He can't be too north and he can't be too south because you've got a country that looks like California and you need to unify that country north and south, right? Very much like the right, east coast situation of our early project here in the United States. You have to unify the North and the South. And you have to bring together their mythologies, their narratives, all of that, to this project. Those are the earliest texts we have. Is that is that um, formation of the literature that is going to be the mythic history of this, this new business called Israel. But then the Deuteronomist comes... A lot later, hundreds of years pass, hundreds <laughs> of years pass when we get the writing of Deuteronomy. Remind me the conditions under which Deuteronomy is written. Not, not, you don't worry about historical figures. Why is, does Deuteronomy have to be written? We're in the Babylonian and, and so what's the project of Deuteronomy? What's its concern? How to keep the, the uh, how to keep, I, I don't know how to put it back, if it's uh, the religion going when we're in exile. All right, so we're back from exile. Oh, we're back from exile, okay. So the, the project of the Deuteronomist is a religious reform. This is a text of religious reform that was found during the reconstruction of the temple. It was found and authenticated to be an old, very old scroll written by Moses. Right, so it is a much later writing that has an agenda. Religion and politics were not separate in ancient Israel. 
So if you're having a religious reform, it's going to impact the laws that you are now going to live under as a theocracy. And Rabbi Jonathan Sachs challenges that. He says that's a name that, that what's his chops, the Greek made up, because there wasn't a name for what ancient Israel did. Right? Having a God that was the ultimate ruler and not separating civil, you know, issues and matters from the moral implications of them. And so he names it theocracy. But Rabbi Jonathan Sachs says it should be called nomocracy, the rule of law. Not the rule of theos, but the rule of law. That, that's what we have in early Israel is this new experiment. Okay, with, but whatever. Yeah. You did say that. That Moses wrote the scroll that we found of Deuteronomy with, you know, a consultant. I've heard (laughs) argued that Deuteronomy is really the first commentary on the Torah because basically it's a commentary and a re understanding of the first four books and Deuteronomy that means second second book second, second teaching second right teaching. so so this so this is a is a political and religious reformation what always precedes a reformation a revolt some kind of uprising uprising crisis violence that is what brings us always to hit the reset button. Is to say, this is not working. The project as it's going right now is not working. So there's hope. So Deuteronomy is all about hope. It's all about, all right, that didn't work. Right? So we... So, and I'm not trying to defend this text. I'm trying to enter us into it because I think if we enter into it in the right spirit, it has a lot to say to us. We're seeing it right now. What are we seeing? When you get to that new place, when you do this reform, this is not written in the desert. This is written hundreds of years after they're in the land and there's been strife and blah, blah, blah. And now we're, this is the reforming plan. When you get there, meaning... Okay, next week, because we've been here for hundreds of years, right? But next week, what are you going to do? Destroy all the sites which the nations you are to dispossess worshipped. All the places they worship their gods, right? Um, Tear down their altars, smash their pillars, put their sacred posts, their statues, to the fire. Cut down the images of their gods, obliterating their name from that site. <laughs> this is exactly what we see happening right now. Do we really care about a statue of Robert E. Lee? From what I understand from Rabbi Nick and my partner Judy, they have conversations that are way over my head um, about this stuff, that um, Robert E. Lee wasn't such a bad guy. Of some really bad guys, he wasn't a bad guy, right? So, like, do we really care about the statue of Robert E. Lee? Of course not. It's what it stands for. It's what it symbolizes. It's what it comes to mean to people who have been part of a violent, angry, or you know, forget even you know whatever kind of violence we're talking about. And if you look at the civil rights movement, there was a lot of violence, right? A lot of you know, think about how many people were assassinated, right? Like 
Um, I was born in 65, so I grew up in a world thinking, wow, anybody, any leader could get shot at any moment, right? Because that's, that, that's what I inherited was this thing of everybody was getting shot all the time to death for leading. So w- when you have a people and they attach meaning to those images and you have a new project, the new project says we have to take all of those symbols, we have to take those flags, we have to take all of those things and we have to we have to destroy them so that we can put to rest some of the feeling that this could happen again, right? That we're done with that. We're finished. We're now together. We're unified in this new project. And the way we do that is to tear down the symbols of strife and the overt symbol of the ways that we got into serious, serious trouble. Can you once say that Deuteronomy is analogous to the Constitution? There are people who suggest Deuteronomy is what the Constitution is based on. I mean, because... The idea of the Constitution comes from here. Because at the end of the the Revolutionary War, there was a good 10 years of um, uh, strife, if you will, between individual states until they got together uh, with the Constitution. Uh, It it sounds like there's a... a, um, there's definitely a parallel. And there, there was this huge article that I didn't make it all the way through. Um, but, but I'll see if I can find it for you. Um, but it, and it says, you know, Deuteronomy as the basis for the United States Constitution. Because it's th- that's exactly what this idea is, right, of a reform. Is, okay, we, that didn't work, right? And it's not that we don't have other texts. It's not that we don't have other ideas. But it's time for something new and an agreement that everybody's going to sign on to because that is the only way this project's going to work at this point because it's that it's at the edge of some kind of precipice and the only way to pull it back you know the only way to do it differently is to sign on to an agreement like this one isn't there also a sense of the centralization of worship here? oh for sure that I mean, is one of the agendas to, i mean 100% the, the temple against the local idols 100% cuz that's one of the ways you're going to bring the people together Right is to centralize worship in Jerusalem. Give them a focal point. But at the same time, what this does is allow people to eat meat wherever they are. They no longer have to eat just sacrificial meat um, in Jerusalem. But d- did you want to say something earlier, Linda? Uh, actually, I was going to say exactly what the sermon said about how whoever did it, about uh, the Deuteronomy and everything together and looking back and trying to going forward Excellent. Well said. <laughs> uh, when I first read about this uh, removal of the statues and that kind of thing, in my head, this is what I thought of, was that we're trying to destroy history. And it was just just it was such a, a moment for me. I mean, how could, how could we do that? So I think what's helpful in moments like this is that it feels supercharged right? The, the removal of those statues, they were planning anyway, by the way, right. to move those statues to a park. It's not like people were venerating them, right? It's like, so, but what happens is the moment gets supercharged and those statues coming down were about rage, right? Are about the, the state of folks who are disenfranchised, right? And needing someplace to put their frustration and their anger. Um, I think understanding it this way and talking about it like this helps us, helps us not be quite so reactive, right? Oh my God, they're tearing down history. What's happening? You know, okay, let's look at what's happening. What is happening? 
tear down their idols, smash their pillars, right? Take down their flag, right? It's a normal instinct that is thousands of years old. And this is not about conquering, right? This is because that's what it reads as, right? It reads as we're in the desert and you're going to go conquer them and you're going to take down their stuff. That is not what this is. This is a reformation from within, and we, that's the other thing we forget is that, that the people who would have been living here hundreds of years now as good Yahwists were mostly converted Canaanites. They were people who were still attached to Baal. They were still attached to Asherah and the Confederate flag. They, will, they were still attached to the statue of Robert E. Lee. That's what was causing a lot of the problem. And what you do when you tear it down also is make room for something else. For something that's going to hopefully be representative of the united common understanding of what's the good. Like cleaning out a drawer. Then you have a place to put the stuff you've been wanting to put there all along. So it helps us understand, right, the same things that drove the Deuteronomist to write, you know, this metaphorically. Those same things were happening in Israelite society. And they too needed to pull down, like, altars and flags to what was, to what was symbols of dissension. Symbols of what is tearing us apart. And so the Robert E. Lee, the Confederate flag, that doesn't become about just, you know, about fighting for a country and what it's going to look like, states' rights versus whatever the opposite of that is, <laughs> federal or whatever. Um, it's deeper than that, right? And, and it's, for us now, it's about all the things that were horrible about that conflict and how those symbols get used later, right, to be symbols of hatred, symbols of what continue to divide Americans, racism, anti-Semitism, anti-whateverism, you know, pick a, pick a group, <laughs> right? You know, the, those things become now a symbol of the fuel behind, right, the things that continued past the Civil War you know, to divide this country and to be what was so terribly, th- and remains so terribly threatening to the, to the project. Doesn't it also create a level playing field for conversation? Right, like if the if the image is not there, the issue doesn't go away. But there's now uh, a power to have a voice, and then the voices are more equal because there's not that extra thing saying I'm bigger than you, and therefore, and I have this belief. So it it, it begins the conversation to come into. Because because of what statues right trigger right we won we are here we're here forever and right decide to take that down they have an opportunity to look at whoa what is you know, why am I giving so much importance what is this really about and there's a conversation that and that part is up to us right 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 Th- that part is up to us to say okay this is not about statues right. people <laughs> like right let's talk about what's happening and and, okay now they're gone now that trigger is gone people got some things out of their system that's a good thing we need some of those symbols to go away clearly like because it's still here enough that we're being torn apart as a country um so now our job is to say all right now we've got some room now we got to fill the drawer now we have to fill what are we going to put in the drawer that's the decision what goes in the drawer and some of it is going to be stuff that came out of the drawer and some of it is going to be huh 
I don't know. I've never had an empty third of this drawer on the left, right? Like, I don't know what, what, that's a good question. And and to hold that empty space for a while to say, we don't know yet what's going to go in the drawer there. Look at all the decisions reconstructionism as a has made in what to put in that drawer. How to, how to leave some tradition and pick up some new tradition and how to meld them. And that's, and that's our work, is to not let that be something in the past. Right. <clears throat> Thinking that during the period of exile, the people in Israel were not functioning as a, as a, as a nation. We understand. So they needed something to have this population become um, Jewish again. And maybe that's why Deuteronomy was written. Yeah, at a time where we lost our identity, right? And so then if we're going to... And there's arguments about when things are written, by the way. I don't want to suggest that we know exactly when things are written. There are people who put this under Hezekiah and King Josiah, that it's in Israel, things are not going well, um, and Josiah wants a reform, and it's Hezekiah who... Anyway, so... Um, but yes, this idea, it's clearly this idea that something has changed dramatically for the nation, and it is time for a reset. It's time to look for what from the past, like Bert said, this looks back. Deuteronomy looks back. It doesn't make this up out of whole cloth. It looks back to say, all right, what what do we know from what's happened so far, right, that we need to carry forward and and what needs to just kind of, it needs to be a whole new approach to some of these timeless topics. Of course, we're concentrating on immediate events in this country, but you can also think about Judaism throughout the world as a whole and think about how the Jewish religion is broken up. I mean, there's terrible tension within the Jews. Forget about outside and what they're thinking about us. I mean, we have our own internal problems right now. What? (laughs) 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 So um, I just got back from Israel. I was with 16 progressive rabbis um, on a progressive rabbis trip put on by APAC, which was curious enough that I was that I'm like, okay, I gotta I gotta check this out. Um, and so we were there for I was there on my own for a week, and then we were together for about 10 days, morning to night, lectures from breakfast in the morning at you know 8:30 until. Nine o'clock when dinner finished at night, we were engaged. Um, and all I will say uh, right now um, is I came back incredibly depressed. I came back very depressed. There's no hope for the two-state solution anywhere. Nobody even pretends that there's any hope. Everyone knows it has to happen. Everyone knows the status quo can't go on. 80% of Israelis know the only way forward is a two-state solution. Everyone knows that. There is no hope, zero, for there being leadership on either side to be able to decide the boundaries of those states so that there can be a withdrawal from the occupation. Right? Everyone's end the occupation. Oh, okay, that's great. And what do you do the next day? If there's... If we don't agree on where my country ends and your country starts, then how do I have any trust that I can defend the borders of my country because we don't even know where they are? 
There are great people thinking about this project. I, I am very hopeful about that. There are people who, we went to the Israel Democracy Institute and they said, we have solutions for this problem, this problem, this problem, and this problem ready to go. But, but there is not leadership or will enough on both sides to say, all right, we're willing to give up what we would need to give up in order to, to sign on to this compromise, which is a very creative, wonderful compromise. And and to your point, this we were there while um, the whole business of Netanyahu having backed off of his decision to create a plaza for liberal Jews um, happened. He agreed to make a plaza for um, to, to be right to be a non-orthodox uh, place, uh, and that agreement was signed. Everything was in place, and the designs were <laughs> drawn up. Everything was ready to go, and he reneged because of pressure right from within the government. Because it's a parliamentary system, this is, we heard this over. I cannot tell you how many times we heard this. I'm not telling you like you don't know. I'm telling you this is what we got told over and over and over again. The parliamentary system is failing Israel on many levels because they have that much power to say if we pull out there's a vote of no confidence one of the guys said to us when is the next election in the United States and so someone said well it's the first Tuesday after blah 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 and like and he said so is there a difference between when you vote for president and when you vote for your local and they said well of course like local elections but when we vote for the next okay so none of that exists in Israel you can't politics are not local in Israel because you don't vote for a candidate, you vote for a party. So if you vote for the party, the party has an, a, line, a lineup of who's at the top. And the positions get slotted by how many seats you get. So I'm whatever party, I'm the Amy Bernstein party, and I get, I win in the election, our party wins 10 seats. The top 10 people in the Amy Bernstein party get those seats. Right. So if you are then in the government and you work against your party on any level, what happens in the next election? Your name is now 47. You're not in the top 10. So your career is over. Think about what that means. Representatives of parties in the parliamentary system, when they sit in the Knesset, cannot des- decide. You know what Robert Gordon says? They have a very good point, the Judith Ubik people. You know what? My party's not going to be happy, but I think this is the best compromise going forward. If Robert does that, Robert won't ever be in Knesset again. Well, that is, has some parallel in our country, too. Some parallel in our country, for sure. But the, but the point being, the person in Tel Aviv is voting for both of you. Right. So, not the president. Right. Whoever's going to fill those other seats, they're it's not, it's not regional. There's, no, you know, they're not responsive to. They don't need to be responsive to the people of their area. It's to the whole country. And when he said, you know, when is your next election? We could tell him. He said, well, guess what? We can't tell you when the next election is going to be in Israel. How do they decide when the election? When there's a vote of no confidence. Oh, only then. And then, I mean, there might be a scheduled one every four years or whatever. Like there has to be one every so often, but. But, but Israelis don't ever know when their next election is going to be. Right? So, so just think about the mindset to live in that anyway. Like, the, you just never know. Is, that, is, the, is the prime minister going to be the prime minister tomorrow? 
<laughs> right? We, like, depends on what happens, right? So, so there's already kind of an unsettled, then you've got all these parties, you, right? And, and you gotta keep a combination of 62, so you never know which way the top of the government's gonna move to keep that in place. So you don't know who, the Russians could have all the power tomorrow, the Russian party, you know, or the whatever part. And so it just keeps everything so off balance and off kilter. It's good for what it protects. And I'm not here to argue against the parliamentary system. What I'm saying is it's part of the huge frustration and gridlock and problems and promises and then reneging that's happening in Israel. And so as a, as a liberal Jew, it was all about while I was there, the infighting right between we were there as Zionists to support the Zionist project and left feeling like do you even want us here right we're not Jews who are welcome here really right it's a lot of lip service but when it comes down to put up or shut up you go with the ultra-orthodox party and shut us down right we heard from Anat Hoffman you know from women of the wall and um and also the other thing he's backed up on is the conversion bill and so it's just on all these levels it was kind of like which means you do have to convert to orthodoxy to be able to go to Israel it's a it's a further it's a taking away of opening that policy that was going to happen it's really it really mostly affects modern orthodox but but the point is you can see Netanyahu moving in response to the pressure from the ultra orthodox who will leave the coalition if he doesn't do this and and it was just terribly frustrating terribly frustrating and and we had the leader one of the leaders of the LGBT community meet with us she's running as an openly as a lesbian for a political seat uh, in the Knesset um, I'll show you the sign I forgot to bring it today um, and they, they march with it uh, in, the, in the marches in Israel and it has the name of the party in the corner and it says Ima Ve'ima Ab, and the font is written in a way that you can also read Abba Ve'aba right so uh, it's fabulous so I'm going to put it up in my office but um, so like that's an amazing thing how, how amazing is that? An openly gay, blah, 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 and they're carrying all these signs that say Ima Ima in these rallies and in the marches and in the protest march. La, 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 it's fabulous. And then we, we asked this question of, and so what about religious pluralism? And she said, you know what, you're just going to have to wait. It's not important to Israelis. You, and I can't do it all. And I can't take every issue on my shoulders. You all are just going to have to wait believe me it's going to happen of course it'll happen we have to do the domino and it was like you could just see the rabbis around the room go what like we don't even matter to you to the lgbtq community if our rights don't matter to y'all what the heck is going on with this <laughs> so and again i'm not trying to denigrate anybody or anything i'm tell i'm just trying to lift up some of the the complexities and what we assume versus you know what what life is about there are right very different things. So um, this is huge support from American Jews, but do they care about that? Well, so so this is this is the point of tension, right? Is we and what we heard from several people who were very articulate about it, including Anat Hoffman, who was passionate, not just articulate, passionate about it, was you'd better care. Don't let them tell you because you don't live here, you know, you don't have any right. 
She said she quoted Hartman you know, that this project is too important. The, the Israel project is the largest project ever taken on by the Jewish people in 2,000 years. The most important project taken on by Jews in two millennia. It is too important to be left to Israelis. <laughs> and so, you know, she said you, you have to buy in even if they say you don't live here, you're American, you have no right. But we have to continue to support Israel because what some people want to say is then we won't be sending you a check anytime soon. And she said, and several people said to us, that is the wrongest answer possible because the only way you're going to get listened to ever, ever is to say, I care. I'm in. I have skin in this game. Here's my check, right? And I'm a Zionist. Right? And that word's become, in its own way, a, a terrible word, which we have to fix. We have to reclaim that. I'm a Zionist. I'm here. I'm in. And you have to listen to me. I'm not going away. Amy. Roseanne wanted to say something. Can you just briefly explain what the plaza, the second plaza even means? What, what so right now, the only way to be at the Kotel is to be at a at the wall is a, at an ultra-Orthodox synagogue. It is run by the ultra-Orthodox rabbinate. It is a synagogue. It is a holy sanctuary. So you have to observe the rules of an ultra-Orthodox synagogue. So that, you know, there's the mechitza. It's divided. The women's section is like this. You have to have your arms covered. Believe me, Anat Hoffman gave me one of the shmatas <laughs> that they give you to cover yourself. If you're not covered, I'll be putting it on, on the bima um, at Westwood to make a point, right? So... It's a shmata that they give it to you, and you have to wear that. And of course, they get arrested when they, you know, bring in a Torah, you know, to read um, from the Torah. So um, there's, there's, you know, I, I'll, I'll put up on our thing a link to her video. They have a great video explaining the Kotel and what the plan was and what happened and blah blah blah. It's like a video. It's like a cartoon video, so it's um, with some actual footage. So it, it moves fast, and so it, it's really, it's well done. And. Uh, what was I going to say about that? Um, and so, very distressing footage of, you know, Israeli soldiers and police, I'll pay the police, but, you know, um, removing those women and dragging them, you know, off because they want to read Torah at the wall. So, right, so those tensions are super high within our family. Then you talk about, you know, uh, anyway, there's that hand. I was just kind of thinking about the comparison of the, it's not the money, it's not the statue, it's the feeling behind it. Like you're saying, I want, I'm, I'm here, I'm, be in, I'm in the game, I'm invested. That's what the money means. It's, right, we, we sometimes minimize, oh, we just pay, but there's the meaning behind it. That's always what it is. Right. That's where the fire comes or not. Wait. Getting back to our text and relevance. After Judith. Sorry. Um, I wanted to ask, how, what percentage of the world's Jews live in Israel? Do you have any idea? Um, how many Jews are in America? Roughly roughly half here, half there, and then there's lots of other places they are, and I don't mean to be dismissive of that, but the, we are the two big population centers, the, the U.S. and Israel. outside of Israel than in Israel. If you add them all together, I don't know. But. Yeah. There's about five, four and a half to five billion Jews in Israel, and there's 14 million Jews. So, all right. I, uh, I have to say that the prime minister has to bear some responsibility. What? Well, it's well. Some people would say he is taking responsibility. He's making sure he holds the coalition together. And I asked someone. I said, "What motivates somebody that they have to go to such extremes and such length? What motivates somebody to do that?" Right? And and they said he really believes 
that what Israel most desperately needs right now is him as prime minister. And anything short of that is less important. That his leadership and whatever it's going to take him to keep a coalition together is what's most critically important for Israel at this dangerous time in her history. That's why he and Trump get along. <laughs> I think that pretty well says yeah. hmm? What? It pretty well says what his uh, view and attitude is. Yep. Yeah. All right. So, Re'eh Anochi, I promised I would come back. Re'eh Anochi noten lifnechem hayom bracha v'klala. Tell me, Rita, I know she, she loves it when I do that. Um, tell me what you see grammatically happening here that is off. What's wrong? Um, I think it's singular. Good. And Lisa Nathan is singular. Excellent. So this is masculine singular. Well done. She gets the star. <laughs> Re'eh is masculine singular, and Lifnechem is masculine y'all. So why don't those match? The rabbis go, do we think God forgot Hebrew grammar? Chas v'shalom, God forbid. God is not grammatically mistaken. This must be a teaching from God. This must be a deeper secret, right? So, of course it is. Does anybody remember what it is? Re'eh, singular. I place before you y'all, the blessing and the curse. Well, that each person should see that relationship between God and the whole. Okay, I'm going to broaden it. That each person is responsible for this choice which affects all of us that my behavior impacts what's going to happen around me is one interpretation another is that the mitzvah the commandment is given the commandments to do the laws to behave in a certain way is given to each individual so that y'all may flourish as a society, right? As a people. So that the, that the, each one of us has to feel obligated. Each one of us has to understand that these apply to us, that this applies to me. That is how we will be a y'all. That's how we will be a people, right? And so it, so it's a communal project that each individual has to see themselves as as committed to and as influenced by. And also the other way. Don't look at y'all and ask then, what should I do? Right? That we spend a lot of our time looking to everybody else and asking, so what does that mean I should do? That is backwards say the rabbis who unpack this verse. That is completely what Torah is arguing against. Re'eh, you, you single Israelite, you re'eh, that I put before all of them too. Each one of them too. It's a plural, but, but it's, you have, you, just worry about you. Don't worry about what they're doing. 
right? And don't look to them to know what it is that you're supposed to be doing. You know what's bracha and what's klala because I'm going to I'm going to write it for you. I'm going to hand it out. I made copies. I'm going to give it to you. Right? You will teach them diligently to your children. It's not a secret. You don't have to guess. It's not in the hands of the priesthood that only they know. And they're going to shell out a little bit of stuff to you every now and then when you go in and ask them. This, it's known to you what's bracha and what's klala. So you show up. Don't worry about them and what they're doing. Take responsibility. But know that what you do choose to do is going to impact all of them or right the project our kids used to say to us everybody else is doing it right and my favorite is the one my parents use with me you know and if everyone else jumped off the roof (laughs) or or I say to my kid is I don't care what anyone else is doing what their mothers let I don't care what their mothers let them do thank you alright okay what about this one what are the rabbis going to do with this one. You all know what they do with this. What do they do with that one? Behold, I set before you this day, bracha uklala. What are the rabbis going to do with this? Not that day, it's every day. <laughs> Not it's that day. day. Hayom. Every day. Today. You're every today. Hayom means today in Hebrew. Right? It can mean the day, but that's why it means today. Right? That we have two words for that. In Hebrew, they're the same thing. Hayom, the day. What day are you usually talking about if you're talking about Hayom? You're talking about this day, because that's the one we care about, right? So it's the same word in Hebrew, but the rabbis, of course, use that as a teaching. It's every day. It's easy to say, okay, I'm going to think about that next week. I'm going to read another piece or watch another CNN interview, and then I'll know kind of what to... We, we, it's Hayom, folks. Re'eh. Hayom. I said it before you every single day, this choice, to live into bracha or to live into klala. Blessing and hope and constructive conflict or hate, violence, cynicism, denigration of the other. It's up to you every single day and the good news is if it's Hayom if it's today guess what I don't need to worry about what I did yesterday right like that's an incredibly yeah it's it's a weight for sure but it's also an incredibly for me liberating teaching which is just worry about today because we get caught up in well I'm not very political and I don't know a lot and I don't really have a lot to contribute you know, blah, 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 blah. that's who you've been till now who cares Hayom who are you going to be somebody who participates constructively in what's happening right now or not because it's it's put before us Hayom okay well don't scratch above here <laughs> or I'll call on you. It's very enlivening. It's enlivening. Talk to me about enlivening. Well, you're not going to postpone it because it's today and you enter in with all your energy and your best thinking. And it doesn't have to be perfect, but it's got to be good. I'm glad we have that on tape I was going to say I wish I had that on tape I'm glad we have that on tape beautifully said right because because doesn't that call us into life right when I heard you say enlivening it's like it's enlivening right because of all the beautiful ways you just articulated that it 
It calls me forward into right now and doesn't let me languish in right a bunch of other stuff. It calls me into right now. It doesn't have to be perfect, but it's got to be good. Right? If I want bracha, if I want blessing to be the outcome, it, it calls me into, okay, so, so that means I have to do something right now. Not postpone. Not postpone it. Right now. All right. What time are we at? 42. 42? Okay. Oof. <laughs> I love Ruben. It's 1030. <laughs> um, all right. I don't know which one to give you first, so I'll hand them both out. I think I need one, though. 1038. <laughs> All right. <coughs> the words of the brilliant, which was what Gaon means. The Vilna Gaon. Gaon means genius. Vilna is a town. The Vilna Gaon is the genius of Gaon. Now that Rebbe taught, brought to us by Rabbi Yael Shai. Look at the paragraph. The choice seems obvious. The Vilna Gaon begins by saying that the reason the word re'eh is in the singular is so that a person will not say, what am I that I should choose for myself a good path if most of the world is behaving wickedly? It is up to each to see what is before you. You do what you need to do and do not take notice of the world. The Vilna Gaon asks us, not to rationalize our behavior or build lives in relationships to other people. And she suggests that Moshe sees that threat happening on two levels. And that's why we get the commandment, right, um, to uh, drive out the other people and tear down their high places and blah, 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 right? Is it, it's, it's, it's us in definition to other nations. And second, in relationships to one's own family. So we get laws that are addressing the concerns about that. And she talks about comparative mind. And that the danger of this that we see now of Lifnechem is represented best. Lifnechem, y'all, is represented best by Facebook. Lifnechem, Facebook. You hear the you hear the resonance? It's the same. So because we, we now measure so much of what my day, my vacation, my dinner is like based on what I see everybody else doing. What everybody else is eating, where they're vacationing, right? And they're always happy. <laughs> always. Just look. Look at every post. They are always happy. I'm not always happy, so right. So comparative mind sets in, but it's worse when you're being fed the comparison, and it's always unfavorable to you. So what's wrong? With Unless you're in Tahiti having a blast, then you know you're you're all right, Jonna. Yeah, no, I was just thinking about all the kids that you know. You say, "Friends, take your picture," and then and immediately it's. Right. I mean, they. they <laughs> right. We all do it. We all do it. So it's just being aware of it. Well, and that they um, that every that every kid. Um, it's, they take for, for about a hundred pictures for everyone they post of themselves. Right. So, so they're choosing. Even the ones we see right. are chosen from among a right. hundred images Absolutely. of them that were unacceptable but to I them. Think this is an amazing opportunity to take what we're, we're learning about right now as, as a society. 
society to go, wait, I'm really being, I'm really buying into something that isn't even real. I mean, what a great opportunity because right. everybody throughout the world is experiencing that now, you know. How come I don't feel good when I, every time I'm looking at this? You know, what is that? At- but, and yet we're set up with this terrible biology that gives us a little shot of dopamine every time we we pick it up and and so like it's this it's a very very rigorous discipline to say I'm going to resist either the dopamine hit or I'll take the dopamine hit but I'm not going to buy into this defining for me what what it means to live into blessing or right. curse it's a, it's today or the next thing I say yeah. right because when we are influenced by that it affects the very next thing that comes out of our mouth yeah. or with what energy we greet the next person who comes to us with something that they're holding yeah. right <laughs> my daughter last night was on on the device <laughs> that will not be named. <laughs> that will not be named. And she, so she says, Mom, what? Mom, what? Come here. I'm like, what? Like, come here. Come here now. Like, what could possibly so be so important? She's like, that's Owen. <laughs> I'm like, hi, Owen. Like, so, so people are in your house now, right? So when she says, Mom, and I say, what? <laughs> Owen hears that, <laughs> right? So other people hear how I respond to my daughter, which has been a very interesting spiritual <laughs> awakening for me, right? It's because what is my tone when I respond when she calls me, right? It's usually, what? So, um, so that, this is Owen. Hi, Owen. Like, why am I standing here talking to Owen? Um, and then she says, I met Owen. Owen today when we're getting to be friends and, and I met his mom and she's amazing and she's really cool and like she's a real person um, I'm like okay um, and she said so I wanted him to meet my really cool mom um, so just even our expectations about what it's going to mean right that that next thing it, it, it's just a cons- it's, it's a constantly moving reality that we are exposed to influenced by and then interacting with yeah. it's, we turn around and then interact with, with the world now through you know through this alright um, I know I don't have long turn to the end of Rabbi Shai's teaching I'll set it up for you she has a beautiful teaching I love it love it love it that I've never heard before Lifnechem. What 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 does Lifnechem what is Lifne? Rita? Before. In front. Before. Before. In front in front of? Lifne. Before. Both Lifne. So Lifnechem, I set before y'all the blessing and the curse, right? The choice to live into blessing or curse. What she's saying is, uh uh-uh. uh. It means Lifnechem. Before y'all. What, each one of you want to know how it is you're supposed to do this you kind of go I don't know what to do you don't need to worry why does the S me singular not have to worry because I've already given it before you look to your history look to the generations before you look, look to what they produced look at what they wrote and have preserved for you that generations have preserved for you you don't have to be concerned that you don't know it it's given so then you before you 
I said before you, before you were in existence. Okay. Before you. Yes. So she's saying, this means look to history. Look to your ancestors. Look to Maya Angelou. Watch her interview, her Oprah interview on, oh, oh my gosh. Oh my, I chills. It was like unbelievable, right? So, we, we panic that we don't have the answer. I don't know. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to face this. But it's been given, Lifnechem, before you. There are elders. There are teachers. There are texts. There are communities. There are traditions. There are so many things that came before you that are still accessible to you. Look to them. Look to your Torah. Look to all of those things that were given before you. Our path is only discoverable by living it. Rabbi Shai says by practicing meditation and mindfulness and opening up our eyes to our history and and to our heart and trusting that clarity will emerge for us in exactly the way it needs to as Rilke writes in letters to a young poet be patient toward all that is unsolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves like locked rooms and like books that are now written in a very foreign tongue live the questions now Perhaps you will then gradually, without noticing it, live along some distant day into the answer. I feel like these words, I need to just post them on my bathroom mirror right now. Right? And um, to live into the questions, can we do that calmly, like with patience, with a sense of it? we will figure it out. We will, if we can keep our hearts soft and our hearts and minds and ears open, if we really can do that, we, we, then we have a shot at saving this project. Of course, we will stumble and get lost. We, we may notice one day that we are worshiping someone else's God and someone else's idea of success and fulfillment. The Vilna Gaon says that moments like this are when we are to focus on Moshe's word, Hayom, today. Today, each day, will be in your eyes as new and you can start from there. And a pen- penitent is like a newborn baby. We can always start over. We can always reorient and find our way home. Shabbat Shalom. You've been listening to Rabbi Amy Bernstein's Friday Morning Torah Study from Kehillat Israel in Pacific Palisades, California. For more information, go to our website, www.ourki.org.